Over the years, the use of the antibiotic vancomycin has come full circle. First an alternative to natural penicillin nearly a half century ago, it took the back seat when semi-synthetic penicillins were developed because of their better toxicity profiles. Then the rise in recent decades of methicillin-resistant Staph aureus re-established vancomycin as a primary first-line agent for gram-positive infections when resistance is a possibility. With that storied history in mind, how can we optimize dosing strategies and serum monitoring to best take advantage of vancomycin? You're listening to ReachMD, Radio XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Focus on Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Charles Turk, PharmD. Our guest is Dr. Michael Ryback, Associate Dean for Research, Professor of Pharmacy and Medicine, and Director of the Anti-Infective Research Laboratory at the Eugene Applebaum College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. Dr. Ryback is also the lead author on recent consensus guidelines between the Infectious Diseases Society of America, the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists, and the American Society of Health System Pharmacy on the therapeutic monitoring of vancomycin in adult patients. Dr. Ryback, welcome to the program. Thank you. As a word of introduction, vancomycin has been in clinical use for about 50 years. Only a couple of other antibiotics or drugs in general have survived the test of time so well. What do you think gives vancomycin its staying power? Well, I think over the years there's been relatively few options for the treatment of methicillin-resistant staph aureus, and this drug has been put aside a couple of times in its history due to toxicities early on in its development stages and clinical use in the late 50s and early 60s in lieu of safer drugs that were semi-synthetic penicillins, for example, and other beta-lactams, which allowed us to use other options until we had methicillin resistance rise throughout the world. And now we have reliance back once again on vancomycin as sort of a workhorse for treatment of MRSA infections. Aside from MRSA, what else does vancomycin cover and in which type of infections might we want to consider using it? Well, vancomycin is a broad-spectrum gram-positive glycopeptide, as most glycopeptides are in this category, and they do quite well in terms of covering streptococci. So there's a variety of streptococci species that are easily overtaken by vancomycin. It's not our primary drug that we think of for strep pneumonia, for example, or group A strep, but it certainly has coverage there as well. It has coverage against enterococci too, although not vancomycin-resistant strains of enterococci. So there's actually a variety of streptococci, enterococci, and staphylococci that it does quite well. We think of vancomycin as being inferior for methicillin-susceptible strains of staph aureus when you're comparing it to beta-lactams and treatment of patients and their outcome. So when might vancomycin be a good empiric choice? Well, I think vancomycin has been used for you know, over 20 years now as an empiric choice for patients who you might suspect that they have a methicillin-resistant staph aureus infection. I would think that vancomycin has really pretty much been delegated that task role, MRSA, again, for the last two or three decades. And as the MRSA has increased, we've become more reliant on this drug as empiric therapy for patients coming into the emergency department with suspected signs and symptoms of infection that might include MRSA. Now, jumping into monitoring, why are we so concerned about monitoring uh, serum vancomycin concentrations, and why do recommendations about the target drug levels keep changing? That's kind of an interesting area because, you know, for a number of years, we've kind of slacked off on monitoring uh, vancomycin for a variety of reasons, one of which is that the therapeutic window in the old scheme of dosing vancomycin 
was relatively large, or at least we thought it was. The primary toxicity that we concern ourselves most often with vancomycin monitoring is nephrotoxicity, in which we monitor patients very closely. Predominantly, the creatinine, serum creatinine, is an indicator of renal dysfunction. For many years, uh, we felt that vancomycin under the current or old dosing schemes for most infections being 500 milligrams Q6 or 1 gram Q12 for the majority of our patients was relatively safe and that nephrotoxicity had uh, what was a small prevalence rate, probably in the area of about 5 to 7% at best. So monitoring pretty much was routine, although we you know, would monitor on a once-a-week basis or on a limited basis, and especially in patients that have mild to moderate infections. And a lot of us, including myself, advocated more aggressive monitoring for the more severe-treated patients. But a lot has changed since then. How have things changed, exactly? Well, I think the committee that was elected to put this together from the three organizations I should indicate why we did this, I guess, is to look at and review the literature on vancomycin because of reports of increasing failure rates due to vancomycin therapy, because of changing and susceptibility patterns of staph aureus to vancomycin that has been noted over the years, and realizing that this drug might be improved by more aggressive dosing and revisiting its pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics is one of the things that really instigated the committee getting together and, and trying to look at the literature as well as make some recommendations for change. You had mentioned the guidelines on which you serve as the primary author that were recently published. What sort of other guidance could clinicians use before those guidelines came out uh, in dosing vancomycin? Well, prior to the guidelines, the routine recommendations for vancomycin was that if you felt it was necessary to get serum concentration monitoring, Trough serum concentrations of vancomycin in a range of 5 to 10 was thought to be adequate for most infections. And we already mentioned the most common dosages, 500 milligrams every 6 hours intravenously or a gram every 12 hours intravenously as being one of the common dosing regimens for vancomycin. Outside of monitoring serum levels on a once-a-week basis or as needed based on the clinician's view of the patient's status, severity of illness, there wasn't really much beyond that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Focus on Pharmacy on ReachMD Radio XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Charles Turk. Our guest is Dr. Michael Ryback, lead author on recent consensus guidelines between a number of organizations, including the Infectious Diseases Society of America, on the therapeutic monitoring of vancomycin in adult patients. Now, Dr. Ryback, what are some of the major ways in which these new guidelines depart from previously published guidelines? As we just mentioned, the previously published guidelines that are most cited in the literature are trough serum concentrations of vancomycin of 5 to 10 and typical dosing regimens of 500 Q6 or a gram Q12 intravenously. These new guidelines are recommending much higher trough concentrations, 15 milligrams per liter to 20 milligrams per liter for a serum trough concentration. And dosages now will tend to be more in the 1 gram every 8 hours to 2 grams every 12 hours range than what we've previously have seen. The idea here is to actually increase the serum concentrations of vancomycin, hopefully to improve patient outcome. Increasing more aggressively the dosing regimen of vancomycin hopefully will improve penetration of the drug into 
some of the spaces that we felt that the drug had a problem penetrating. Now, there's already been some changes to vancomycin's guidelines uh, from the American Thoracic Society and the Infectious Disease Society of America as it relates to pneumonia. Back in 2004 or 5 in that area, there was recommendations made to shoot for trough concentrations of 15 to 20 for vancomycin. The committee at that point from these organizations didn't really go into detail how one might do that. In fact, they just recommended the common dosing regimen of about 15 milligrams per kilogram Q12. For most patients, that wouldn't actually achieve that level. This committee approach was to not only look at improving the serum concentrations, but also to make recommendations on how one might get there, which included loading doses in severe cases of infection. Severity of illness was heightened, for example, in meningitis or patients with infective endocarditis. Complicated bacteremia that look shocky, for example, one might consider the use of a loading dose to get patients to steady state conditions sooner. So you and your co-authors had recommended a loading dose of between 25 and 30 milligrams per kilogram of actual body weight. So this is the first time that there's really sort of been a an organization or group of organizations advocating that loading dose? Well, loading doses have been controversial for vancomycin for some time. If you go back over the literature, it's, it's talked about throughout the history of this drug whether or not a loading dose is necessary. This is a fairly big and bulky drug, and time to steady state, and depending upon which tissue that we're referring to where the focus of infection might be, may take quite some time. And so whenever that's the situation with any pharmacological approach to anti-infectives, loading doses are often considered to get the patient to that area more immediately. So it has been recommended throughout the history of this drug, but not firmly as uh, recommendations as in this set of guidelines. We do consider this based on clinical judgment, though. Loading doses are not being recommended for all patients in which vancomycin might be used. It's for the severest cases. Let's say we have an 80-year-old patient, comes in from a nursing home, admitted to the ICU, signs and symptoms of sepsis, chest CT confirms or at least uh, leads the clinicians to suspect pneumonia, bilateral pulmonary infiltrates, and so on. Drugs started in the ED include vancomycin for MRSA coverage and a couple of broad spectrums for gram-negative coverage. We have uh, multiple sputum cultures show MRSA growth, and the team decides to drop the other two antibiotics eventually and go with a course of eight days of IV vancomycin. So after two days of therapy, we get the first steady state vanc trough level, and it comes back subtherapeutic. I was wondering how you might approach it. Do we attempt to stick to the original plan and strongly consider discontinuing therapy after six more days? Do we restart the clock for vancomycin? And is the original plan unimportant? And do we just discontinue it after a couple days of the patient's clinical improvement? Or do we continue vancomycin until we see organism eradication? So in the case that you've described, we have a patient that has confirmed lung picture with MRSA. So this is a mnemonic picture in which MRSA is deemed to be the pathogen. And they're started on vancomycin, and you described the scenario where the patient is subtherapeutic after a few days. So you're, I guess you're indicating that the patient's vancomycin levels are less than 15 to 20, which is a recommendation for patients with MRSA pneumonia it's to be in the 15 to 20 range. Well, I would reassess the patient's organism. I would like to know susceptibilities at this time. What is the MIC, the staphylococcus MIC to vancomycin? The MIC, and this is my personal opinion, and we recommend this also in the paper, the MIC is two for vancomycin. We probably would consider alternative therapy. 
If the MIC is less than two, then we probably try to get this patient up to the 15 to 20 margin as quickly as possible. And that might include giving the patient a loading dose at that time to get them there. We'd have to take a look at the body weight, take a look at the creatinine clearance in the patient, and if we're going to stick with uh, vancomycin this time, we might be a little more aggressive getting them up to the 15 to 20 margin as quickly as possible. We would like to check that level again after three, four doses to make sure that we have achieved that target. So probably a microbiological assessment is in order as well as a pharmacological approach to the patient depending upon what the susceptibilities are telling us. Do you consider vancomycin a dangerous drug? I was wondering if you could say a couple words about the historical context of you know, nephrotoxicity and some of the other toxicities as well. I mean, nephrotoxicity is a part of vancomycin's uh, makeup. It's part of the compound's side effect profile. Other things related are infusion-related side effects. We have Redman syndrome, which is a syndrome related to a fast infusion of the drug less than an hour of a gram, for example, that some patients experience a rash, for example. Uh, the secondary drug or phlebitis can be part of the drug infusion-related side effect profile. Ototoxicity has been mentioned from time to time, but there's no real good animal models indicating the mechanism by which vancomycin may cause ototoxicity, but yet that's out in the literature as well. So I would think the primary concern for this drug has predominantly been nephrotoxicity over the years. There is some evidence that the combination of vancomycin and aminoglycosides, there may be an enhancement of aminoglycoside nephrotoxicity. It's based on animal studies and some human studies as well. So that's probably been the concern. Again, in the lower dosage regimens of vancomycin, you know, the typical 500 milligrams every six or a gram Q12, you're looking at five to seven percent, maybe maximum levels. These are reversible type of nephrotic type of problems. If you take the patient off the drug, usually you have a reversal. Rarely do you see patients going to dialysis, uh, secondary to vancomycin therapy. It's a problem. It does maintain the patient in the hospital longer, you know, a nephrotoxic event. It's going to keep the patient there longer, so that's kind of a problem as an adverse event. With the higher dosages, there is some data, at least a paper that comes from the Albany Medical Center that would indicate that exceeding four grams a day, four grams and exceeding it, has a higher risk of nephrotoxicity. And that report by Tom Lodice and colleagues, the nephrotoxicity potential was up as high as 34%. We've been talking with Dr. Michael Ryback about best practices in using vancomycin to treat resistant gram-positive infections. Dr. Ryback, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm Dr. Charles Turk. You've been listening to Focus on Pharmacy on ReachMD Radio XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.